Our scripture reading today comes from uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll be in verse 11 through uh, 21. But before we, before we jump into that, I want to I kind of give you some context and, and locate us with, with what we've talked about so far. Because today's sermon is kind of part two of a two-part sermon. So uh, if you weren't able to be here last week, uh, I would encourage you to go and, and listen to last week's uh, sermon. It'll be on our website or uh, Facebook or, or YouTube. Um, but, but last week, we, we talked about the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. And the whole question Paul's answering in Ephesians chapter 2 is, who, you, who are you in Christ? And in order to understand that, you have to know who you are apart from Christ, right? And, and last week, we got a really classic evangelical description of what, it, what the gospel is. Uh, that we were dead in our sins, that we were headed on the wrong track towards, towards destruction, far from God, that we were enslaved to our passions and desires of our body and our mind, that we can't outthink ourselves from the position that we're in. And Christ intervened for us, that while we were dead, Christ died for us while we were still sinners and showed us the immeasurable riches of his grace by bringing us into new life in the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. And he did that for us in a way that, that leads us to good works. And as, as Paul talks about this, the whole framing of everything is that all of this is what God has done for us, and therefore we can't boast about it. He, he says we were dead, we were non-responsive, we were in no way capable of acting on our own behalf and certainly offering worship and praise to God. And God made us alive in the same way that he raised Jesus from the dead. God made us alive from the death of our sins. And if we were dead and have been made alive, everything else that happens comes to the glory of God. And then he, he closes that section by saying that we are what God has made us, created for good works, which God has prepared beforehand to be our way of life. That God has set everything up in such a way that now that he's brought us into new life, we can do the good works that he has already set up for us, that he's already picked out for us to live into. So that's what we talked about last week, and it's really important. And this week, he gives us the second half of the gospel for Gentiles. For the church that he's writing to in Asia Minor, there's another aspect of the gospel that we're not as inclined to talk about, that sometimes we miss, that, that we ignore. We think maybe this part isn't as significant as the rest of it. And it's because I believe we've forgotten what he's telling us to remember in this text. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, that you'd open our minds by the power of your Spirit, so we can hear and believe what it is that you're saying to us today. So we can know the fullness of your gospel that saves us through, the, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hear this word from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made, by, made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Excuse me. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth... And the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Brian Hadley was saying earlier today that none of you read the sign out front. I don't think that's true, so I'm going to talk to you as if you do. Uh, This week, the the sermon title is, is The Gospel, Peace to Friends and Strangers. And I wonder if as you hear that or as you read it, If your inclination is to identify yourself among the friends or among the strangers. Because this is part of what's strange about this text. Is that what Paul tells us to remember is that we, who are Gentiles, most of us, as far as I know, are on the outside looking in, apart from Jesus, at the work of God among God's people. And he starts this passage by by using this very important word twice. Twice he says, remember. And the, the act of memory is a deeply theological thing. God is very concerned with the memory of his people over time. Some of the most important religious rites of Israel, the most important religious rites in the church, are related to memory. They're related to remembering the work of God through history before us. This is how the Passover comes to be. God leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of the bonds of slavery under the yoke of Pharaoh, and he gives them an entire meal, a feast that that is one of the most significant things in all of their calendar so that they do not forget what God has done for them, so that they remember the story and the plagues and God's deliverance and provision from them as they go from being slaves in a foreign land to ruling in the land that God has given them and a land flowing with milk and honey. And then Jesus at his last meal with his disciples, as he shares the Passover meal with them, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Each time we take communion, we remember who Christ is and what he has done for us. 
As Paul speaks, as he gives these commands to remember, it's important to note that there's a shift in voice as he offers it. As he talked about the first half of of the gospel in chapter 2, as he talks about how we are dead in our trespasses, he uses, uh, for you English teachers and majors out there, he uses the first person plural. He says, we. We were dead in our trespasses. We were on the wrong track. I, Paul, am a part of this part of the story that I'm telling you. But then as he gets into verse 11, he shifts and he starts speaking to you. He's speaking to the church in Asia Minor as a different group than how he himself would identify. And he does that because Paul is a Pharisee. Paul grew up as one of the most rigid Jewish followers of the law that you can imagine. His identity is in his Jewish heritage. He is a child of Abraham. He is under the law of Moses, and he is going to follow every law to the T. That's a significant part of his story. So it's not insignificant that he's even in contact with, with Gentiles and calling them members of the household of God. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But here he's separating himself, distancing himself from the church a little bit and what they need to remember about who they are as they go about this theological act of remembering their story. And their story is that they are Gentiles. That they are, without Christ, aliens from Israel. They they would have not been welcomed into the nation or the family, the people of Israel, the children of Jacob, who was, you know, grandson of Abraham. They didn't belong in that family. They were locked out from that community. They were not welcome based on, on who their parents were, on where they were born. They were not welcome into the story of the family of God. And not only that, they were strangers to the promises of God, to the covenants that God had made with God's people to establish them as a people and to set them apart and to give them a land and to give them a king that would rule over them forever. They knew nothing of those promises and they had not yet been included in those promises. Aliens from Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. They had no hope and they were without God in the world. This is a second problem for the church in Asia Minor that Paul's writing to. For really everyone who's not ethnically Jewish, this is a second hindrance to entering into the story of God. It's not just that we're sinners. It's also that from the perspective of Israel, that they themselves had forgotten part of the promise to Abraham, that that by their nation, by Abram's family, the rest of the world would be blessed. That apart from Christ, they don't get included in the story. And Paul says, you need to remember this church. You need to remember where you would be without Jesus Christ. You would be dead in your trespasses. You have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with. But also, you Gentiles have another problem that you're not born to the right people. You're not born into the right culture. You're not living under the law. You are separate from the people and the activity of God among the people called Israel. Why would Paul spend half a chapter talking about this? 
Why would Paul push them to remember who they were outside of Christ? He does it for the same reason he reminds them about God's forgiveness. He wants to push them into understanding more and more the immeasurable grace of God to them. Their utter dependence on God's kindness that has included them when they did not belong. You and I and the people that, that Paul is writing to in this letter to the Ephesians, we did not belong. We were not included apart from the grace of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. But the church hasn't always remembered this. And it has led us to try to limit and to restrain the boundless grace of God. We don't like the thought. If, if this isn't rubbing you wrong a little bit, then, then like either, either you're not really American because we've been told that we're all equal and we're all the same, or you're not recognizing how foreign this is to how we think about things. We don't like to be told that we could be excluded because of who our parents are or who our grandparents are or what our ethnicity or our culture is. And yet apart from Christ, that's exactly where we would be. And as a church through the last couple centuries, we've proven ourselves eager to remember that Jesus has raised us up from the death that comes with our sins, as we should be. It is tremendously important. But we have not been so eager to remember that we were aliens from the nation of Israel, that we were locked on the outside looking in with no real way to get there, that we, you and I as Gentiles, were strangers to the covenants of God, that we didn't know what we didn't know. That if the gospel had not effectively spread throughout Europe, we would be worshiping the, the Greek pantheon or the Roman pantheon or the Norse gods or something else that couldn't save us, but not Jesus. We're eager, it seems, or at least not eager to remember these facts. That we had no hope, not just because of our sin, but because of our family tree. And I know this personally because I've seen it in my own family. When I was in college, my dad's dad passed away early in November. And the first time we got together as a family was for Thanksgiving. And as we went for Thanksgiving, as we drove to Aberdeen to be with my whole family for the first time since the funeral, my mom said, now, family is, you know, out of sorts. We're missing grandpa. And someone at Thanksgiving is going to be interesting and it's not going to be any of my kids. So I ended up listening a lot more than maybe I would have to another family member who's, who's in my family by marriage about how he conceived of salvation. He was a preacher at an independent primitive church and he began to speak at lunch and I couldn't make any trouble so I listened and he talked. He talked about how it was really important that there was not a drop of color in his blood because he did not believe that anyone of color would find their way into God's kingdom. What he didn't know is that on my mom's side of the family, we were pretty sure that we had a full-blooded Native American in my family. And so even as he told the story, he was excluding me from the family of God. And it turns out he was right. 
that I am, by biological birth, outside of the promises of God. My family is not ethnically Jewish. We weren't included in those promises except for Jesus. But he was also wrong that because of his birth, he was somehow included. Now, the way that he said that is not the way many people I know would say it. It's a harder line statement than many folks would say or even think. But it comes out of centuries of effort that humans... Sometimes even humans who profess Christ have made to distinguish between white and black folks in order to provide some logic for how some people could own other people. And it has produced all kinds of evil fruit for us. All kinds of evil fruit. The church knew that we were sinners, but we forgot that we are Gentiles. We, we see this in other ways, too. Um, I have a friend who went to Millsaps with me. His family is from Palestine. Um, they've been uh, Christians for, for generations. His grandparents uh, immigrated to Mississippi a long time ago. And at some point as he was growing up in, in Corinth, Mississippi, uh, someone came to him and they were like, when did your family become Christian? And he he's like, I don't know how to answer that question. He was like, well, when did the first missionaries come to Palestine to share the gospel with your family? He was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but Palestinians were the first Christians. This is where it started. We have forgotten deep in our bones that this story was not originally our story. That part of the gospel is that God has taken those of us who did not belong and grafted us in to his story with his people and made us a flourishing part of who he's called us to be. And I wonder what a different world it might be if we'd taken Paul's command here to remember. To remember that we are Gentiles. That we are aliens from the people of God, that we are strangers to the promises of God, that the story of the Lord and the Lord's people was not our story until until Jesus made it so by the gift of his cross. And it might be that you think I'm wrong as I describe these things, that that maybe there are folks that, that should not be brought together uh, in the eyes of Scripture, that maybe those divisions really are along, along relationships of color, that there is a wall of separation that can't or should not be breached. And what I say to you is, even if, even if that's true, the result, according to Paul's logic, is the same. That God is bringing together all types of people in Jesus. That you and me who were once far off from God, have been brought near. In Jesus, who is our peace, because in his flesh he has united both groups and broken down the dividing wall of hostility and created one new humanity in the place of the two. Jesus killed the hostility that separated Jews and Gentiles on the cross. And he proclaimed peace. And Paul says, to you who are far off and to those who are near. And in this, Paul is identifying himself with those who are near. He shifts back to us in the next sentence. Because Paul has experienced this story from the other side. 
from the insiders, the ones who belonged, the ones who, was, who he was told throughout his, his raising that there were people he should not associate with. There were people he should not eat with. There were people he should not be friends with or stay at their homes. And as he met Jesus and encountered the Holy Spirit, he was sent all over the world to all kinds of Gentiles to share the message of the gospel with them, to eat with them, to visit with them, to stay in their homes, and to invite them into the family of God. Through Christ. Through Christ, we have received the same Spirit that has marked us as members of God's family, has guaranteed the inheritance that is waiting for us, and that brings us all to the same Father to be a part of the same household. No longer, Paul says, who we once were. We should not forget that we were strangers, that we were aliens, that we were without God and without hope, but now that is not who we are. We are citizens with the saints. We are members of the household of God. We are built together on a foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus at the corner and him knitting everything together as we are made into a spiritual dwelling place for the Lord so that we can offer God all the glory and honor and praise that he deserves. Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Jesus himself bringing peace to us who are strangers and to those who are near so that all of us together can be a part of the story of God. To remember these things is not to pile on guilt or to make you feel eternally unworthy. It is the opposite. It is to embrace our real heritage as Gentiles so that we can recognize and receive the fullness of the gospel for us, of the grace and God that is poured out for us as we abide in the fullness of all of God's family. This is a part of the goodness of the gospel that we cannot miss, that we cannot overlook, that is central to what God is doing in Jesus Christ as he brings peace to the world. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, we confess to you that we don't always remember that we don't like the thought of us being left on the outside looking in apart from your grace. And yet we know that when we embrace it, we experience your grace for all that it is, that it welcomes us. It welcomes us into your family when we did not before belong. This is what we long for, O Lord, is acceptance in your family to have a seat at your table, to be included in the stories that you tell about your salvation for the world. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember not only who we are in Christ now, but who we were before we ever heard the good news of Christ, so that in him we might celebrate all of your boundless goodness for us. We thank you that you have saved us from our sins. We thank you that you have grafted us into a story that was not originally our own so that we can praise you and abide with you in your goodness and kindness and mercy in this life and in the life of the world to come. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.